Heavenly Father, I thank you for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus who are gathered here today. Lord, I pray for for us that you would open our hearts, that we would be willing and able to receive what you have to say to us, that we would submit to your word. Lord, that we would fall in deeper love with you. We want deeper communion. We confess and we have confessed today that we are sinners. And we have confessed today that we are saved by grace. That we cannot earn favor with you. That would be impossible. But we are solely saved by the amazing grace that you provide through Christ Jesus on the cross who did that amazing work, who not only, Lord, we confess, who puts us in right legal standing before you, but even is making us clean as we walk by the Spirit. Lord, we pray for your help. We pray for those that have come here and maybe have an unbelieving heart, maybe a heart that doesn't know you yet, Oh, Lord, we would beg and plead that you would revive, awaken, regenerate the dead heart to know you. And, Lord, we pray these things in your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we come to the text this morning, we're coming to Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. You can turn there right now. It was not, um, it's been on rather a lot of occasions where I've been in a gas station, as some of you, except for those of you that have an electric car or whatever that doesn't take gas anymore. I don't even understand how that works. In a gas station, and I... I can think of a time just recently where someone started to approach me as I'm pumping my gas, and I don't expect, you don't expect for someone to approach you when you're at the gas station. They walk up to you, and they're nice, and they say, hey, hey, do you have any money? I, um, I need to get back to Arizona. I'm like, man, that's, that's crazy. Stuck, I'm stuck here. I want to get to Arizona. I just need some gas money. And I'm, I'm like, okay, all right. So you start the conversation. Well, then uh, this happens two or three or four different times. And this is kind of the same story. And I'm like, man, this is insane. I'm having the same story from different people. What is going on around our area where people are running out of gas and needing to get to Arizona, of all different places, to get to? Why here? Why at this gas station and why Arizona? Now, of course, there's some other things, um, issues attached to that, and, um, you know, it leads into a conversation, and all that to say, perhaps this person is in need, most likely is, but has um, a number of different issues tied to that. And perhaps you've struggled with whether or not to, to help this person with this need at that given time, or not to. And I just want to acknowledge the fact that we run into, when we run into that particular kind of scenario, that it's rather difficult. Now, you can talk to a lot of people that maybe work in those types of circumstances. We have great advice on how to do it. And I could even tell you exactly how I deal with those certain situations that when they come upon me. But I want to leave a little ambiguity for now, but just to make the point that it's actually a little difficult to discern what to do in the given situation. 
because the person is most likely coming in great need, if not great spiritual need, and probably great physical need at the same time. And you have this, this question, do I help them right now? Do I not? I'm, I'm a little suspicious right now. I remember reading in the New Testament, Paul said, man, if you don't want to work, then you don't eat. What do I do, what do, I do with this situation here? So as you err toward grace, and as you even work through your generosity issue and the questions of what would be wise in that given situation, I just want to acknowledge that some of those times it's, it's rather difficult to discern what to do in these types of situations. That being said, there are a lot of different scenarios other than those type of situations where people are in need, whether they know the Lord or they do not know the Lord. The very issue that I want to address this morning is something a bit categorically different. It's similar in that I want to address the needs of our neighbor, but the neighbor I have in mind in particular, and the one that Matthew has in mind, and I'm going to demonstrate that this morning, is our brother and sister in need, and not the outsider. Now, I want to be very careful in terms of what I mean by, by outsider because, I, I, look, man, we were all estranged from God and outsiders. But I, I want you to know there's a difference between someone who is inside the faith and someone who is outside the faith. And at this particular point, in this text right here, what we were going to see is Jesus is going to address something that can certainly be applied to those that are outside of the faith and loving our neighbor and extending grace and mercy ministry to those outside. But in, in his words here, in this particular passage, what he's going to get at, what does it mean and what does it look like to help and care for the needs of those that are actually of the household of God? Because it's different. And I'm not saying to you this morning that you should neglect those that are outside the, out, the household of faith. But you should certainly not neglect those that are inside the household of faith. Jesus has come into the city. He's wept over a lost people. He has turned tables over. He has warned those all around him, those that are religious and those who are irreligious alike. He has said that, that the Messiah has come, the kingdom is now, and there will be a day when all this will be destroyed and Messiah will, will come as a reigning king. Only the Father in heaven knows when that will be. The end of the age will come, but you must be prepared, and you must be ready. And Jesus starts to address this issue of what it actually looks like to be ready and be prepared as one of his followers, as one of the followers of the king upon his return. And also what he will do with those that are among him and those that are not among him. In the passage that we're going to look at right now, that we're going to read, we will see something amazing. A king comes in his glory, no longer as the suffering servant, but a king who's come to judge his servants. And some he will welcome into his abode forever and ever. And others he will pass a judgment where they will be cast out into the lake of fire forever, he says. Hear the word of God. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to dive right into the text. Listen to what it says. In Matthew 25, picking up in verse 31, it says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit 
on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Brothers and sisters, the reading of the word of God. Now this has some difficulties and it possibly raises some questions that come, arise in your mind as you hear the reading of this particular passage. As you see this issue unfold, this issue of mercy and, and help toward, toward others, and the question that could come, come in your mind at a first glance without a, maybe just a, 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 a more cautious look, you might think, well, being righteous means I did what was right. And being unrighteous just means I just didn't do what was right, and therefore I go to hell. So therefore, in your mind, possibly, though since you are good Protestants and you've been around church a long time, you know that you cannot merit favor with God on your own standing or what you do, but possibly at a first glance, here and there, as you look at text of Scripture, you might possibly think that you could go to heaven based on your own merit. But let me just say that would be completely false if you believe that. And when you see this and you read it and you hear it, you are not to believe that you can earn favor with God on your own standing by just doing what is right. So what is it at the heart that Matthew is saying, that Jesus has been saying to these people? What he is saying is this. He is saying that you love him, that we love him by loving our brother or our sister. When we care for the needs of our brother or sister, we are caring for the needs of Jesus himself. When we are caring for the least of these, our brother, Jesus' brother, we are actually caring for him. And if we are to neglect that, 
then we are showing or demonstrating, demonstrating to the world that we are not true disciples and don't really care about Jesus. Jesus is saying the true disciple will care for the needs of his fellow brother and sister in Christ in particular. That is, I'm going to show you that in the text. As you unfold, as you see the text unpack, I want you to see that, that it's absolutely true. I know that we struggle with that. Now, now you, we must confess that we struggle with that along the way, but that there's, there's great answers to that struggle. I want you to see that as well. In the midst of understanding, I want you to see the good news of the gospel in light of your struggle, but no, the proof is in the pudding, as they say. The proof of your discipleship uh, is your love for your brother and your sister and caring for those needs. Now, think of it this way. Now, it's really easy to approach life in the Christian walk in such a way where we think, if we just don't do what is wrong, then God will be pleased with us. But what Jesus is saying here, when you neglect the things that are right, you displease God. Do you see the difference? It's one thing that I do not murder. It's another thing that I see someone, I see a brother, a sister in particular, with a particular kind of need, and I just walk by them. And I say, no, no, no. Just go and be warmed. No, no, no. You don't need me to pray for you. Now, I have seen uh, the fruit of our own church care for people in situations. And I'll, I'll just tell you about one of them right now. I think it's really amazing. There was a family coming to our church, visiting here and there. has been a part of us, was baptized here. They struggle. They struggle with financially, massively. And they said, they said, hey, look, you know what? We just don't have the money to, to, to get there, the gas to get there. And, you know, another, another family in the church, man, rose up and just like kind of helped them out a little bit, and which is totally legit and, and appropriate, helping a fellow brother and sister in, in need, with a real need. Now, now, I understand that there's all kinds of other things tied to that, right? Like, see, people need to get a job. You need to get a job. It's true. You need to work, and you've got to pay for stuff, and you've got to do the best you can. But sometimes things just happen, Right? I know of a, of a person in the community who's going to be moving to the, the city of Fullerton, who not long ago, she had a situation where she was trying to do something in, the, in her household, and she fell off of like a chair, and she broke her leg, broke her leg, and, um, and over time, it got worse and worse and worse, and the doctors had to, they couldn't deal with it, they actually had to, um, they had to remove her leg, they had to remove her leg. Not an older woman, uh, a, a younger person. And now has this, this deep physical problem. And I've become aware that she's moving to the city. Oh, pastor, what do you do with that? When they've, man, they've even given to branches. And they've even prayed for us. And they've asked for answers to questions about all kinds of life. And they're going to be moving from the church that they're part of. And she, and then and into this community. What do we do? What do we do? if she rolls in here or is unable to? How do we solve that? The situation, the, the, the opportunities to care for someone in need within the household of God is all over the place. So let's go look at the text, and I want to show you that this, is, that this is actually here. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, no, long, no longer as the suffering servant, but coming with his angels as a judge now. Jesus is coming to judge on his glorious throne. He will judge righteousness and wickedness and all that. Before him will be gathered all the nations. All the world of peoples will be before his throne. And Jesus is going to separate them in two different groups. He talks about the, the sheep 
and he talks about the goats. Now, go, don't get too crazy and do too, deep, do too deep of a dive. Just understand that in this world of this farming life, people knew right away, as I do, as, because I'm such a farmer, that sheep and goats are different, and they actually have completely different needs. Now, I know, like, Jerusalem, the whole Israel region, is, would be probably very similar to what we experience in California. This brutal winter that we have here, where rain, a raindrop hit the ground. You know, it probably is similar, there's probably some really cold areas, but probably similar to what we have. However, I didn't know this, but sheep and goats have a very different environment that they can handle. So at night, farmers would take the sheep, and they can handle the cold environment, but goats, they, 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 have, they need it completely, and they need to separate them out. The point that the author is making, the point that Jesus is making, the vivid imagery that he's telling these people to understand this is that he's making a separation between these two different animals. That's the point. One for favor and one for disfavor. That is the point. So as he separates the sheep from the goats, he's saying that he will separate the nations, the people, those from favorable to unfavorable being separated as he is judging from his throne. And then it says in verse 33, and he will place the sheep on his right. The right typically is understood as the place of favor. Once again, emphasizing the place of favor. And the left, the place of disfavor. So he will take, so then, and, excuse me, and he will place the sheep on the right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right. And by the way, Jesus is envisioning himself as the king who has come to do this judgment. He says to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He says to those on the right, come, those who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, I told you earlier, I mentioned, look, you know what, sometimes at first glance you might read something and think, well, if I'm just really good, therefore I will earn favor with God. And we, and we beat this drum over and over and over again that that is not what Scripture teaches, that we have been made right with God because of the person and work of Christ Jesus and what his, he has done and his righteousness, not our righteousness. We don't have righteousness. We are made right because of who God is and what he has done through Jesus on the cross for us. Now, that being said, I want to show you reasons in the text that demonstrate that he is not saying that if you just do what is right, then you will therefore earn favor with God. One is the whole idea of an inheritance. Notice the text that he tells them, inherit what the Father has given you. As far as I as I've understood in my very short life, an inheritance is not something you earn unless you have some sort of weird, weird family. An inheritance is a gift. So when mom dies and leaves you her home, if she chooses to do so, then she does this as a gift. Now, I know there's movies that do other things with that, you know, I, I don't know. Um, but, but, but the reality is an inheritance is a gift. So that would be one reason why the text points out that this is not about us earning favor with God, but rather about the inheritance that he gives to us. One of the second reasons that I would give is because what he says about when this started in the mind of God. Look at the time frame when this started in the mind of God. It is before the foundations of the world. The king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. From when? From the foundations of the world. 
fascinating. We cannot escape, as the people of God, the sovereignty of God. God has had this in mind from the very foundations of the world, his great salvation being unfolded for us in time, where we will experience the beautiful inheritance of God's lavish, heavenly realm that he will bring us into, has been in the mind of God from the very beginning. And then he goes on to tell them why. And he says, look, I was hungry and you gave me food. What is he saying? You addressed these needs. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer them. Now here's another reason why I would say and why other scholars way before me have said a great reason to understand why this is not about us earning favor with God is because of their response to God. They ask him, when did we do this? The assumption is there's no way that we can earn favor with you. Then the righteous will answer him in verse 37 saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Now here's the clincher. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And the point is this, that when you care for the needs of Jesus' disciples, you are caring for Jesus himself. That is what is being said here in the text. Does this mean to neglect those that are not Christians? Does it mean to neglect your neighbor? No, it does not mean that. But what he is saying, there's something about, about the caring for the needs of his people. And what he's going to do, he's going to contrast it with those who don't care for his brothers who are outside the camp. But before he does, he, he addresses the, the righteous ones by saying, you provided for these needs. And when you did this, you did this to me, is what Jesus says. When do we see you hungry? When do we see you stranger? The king will say that you did it when you did it to the least of me. You did it. The least of these, you did this to me. Now I want to show you something. I don't, you can write it down if you want. Just listen. How does the rest of the Bible use this word brother in light of this? Just to kind of paint the picture, to just drive it home a little bit. Listen to Matthew 12, 48. But he replied to a man who told him, who is my mother and who is my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here is my mother and here is my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother my, and my sister and my mother. Or how about Matthew 28, 9 through 10? Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my what? My brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Or how about John chapter 20, verse 16 through 17? Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, and go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and, you, and your Father, to my God and to your God. Did you catch that? But go to my brothers and say to them. Jesus is calling those who are his disciples, his brothers and his sisters. Or how about Romans chapter 28? Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 29. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. Jesus is associating himself with his brothers as siblings, as a family. And then also in Hebrews tw- uh, chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, For he who sanctifies He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. When Matthew Matthew uses this term, he's quoting Jesus, referring to fellow siblings, disciples, those that are in Christ. That's why he says in verse 40, And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Now, once again, does this mean that we neglect our neighbor? No. Does it mean we neglect those who do not know Christ? No. We should be invigorated to share the good news of the gospel with all those around us, but we should not neglect our brother and sister in need. It is walk, the walking the Christian life is more than just not committing adultery and not murdering and not whatever, fill in the blank. It's also not neglecting doing right when the power is in our hands to do so. And I would ask you this, how do you do that in the world that you live in on a daily basis? Now, there are times that you have to make some difficult judgments and some difficult calls. We've all had the person come up to us, and they're in need, and we don't know their story, and they might be trying to dupe us. And you know what? It might not be wise in that setting to just give someone money. Maybe you've got to try to like bring them into, hey, look, you know what? I can, give, I can give you some help. I know some stuff in the city that can help you out. You want, you want that help? And if they're willing to say yes, then, then help them through that, that road, possibly. If you really like, don't want to give them financial resources in that time, which you, maybe you shouldn't. I'm going to tell you right now, because I want you to do what's right in your own conscience. I, I don't, but I, I keep other th- resources with me to guide someone to, to the, the need that where, where they can actually have some needs provided for, and, and someone who can do it better than I could. I can have a conversation with them, but I can't, I can't even afford myself to like, help them out financially in that situation, most likely not. What, what Jesus is saying is that the way we show ourselves to be his disciples is not merely to love our neighbor, but it is by our love for our fellow brother and sister. And in contrast, what he does is he, he paints, he, he addresses those goats very differently. He says this, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Then let me just pause for a moment, because I want to like p- come through the text a little bit, but I want to address some things just, just very briefly. This is not a deep dive. That we do not have the time to do, do a massive deep dive. But the text is really clear here, that Jesus is painting a picture of those that will enter his rest, the righteous will enter his rest in his heavenly abode, and those that will enter eternal fire forever, eternal punishment. Those are real, those are true realities that the Bible speaks about. You might be here today and just have no issue with that at all. And maybe you, and you might, maybe you don't have enough issue enough, to be quite frank. Because I'll tell you this, when Jesus enters a city, he wept over it. He didn't laugh at it because they were going to hell. He wept over it. And maybe us who have been in church and been Christians a long time, maybe we need to come to a place when we talk about heaven and hell, we actually talk about hell with tears in our eyes instead of laughter in our heart. Too bad for you, right? 
So as we approach it, knowing all the different backgrounds that we come from, I guarantee everyone in this room, we have family members that we love deeply that rejected Jesus and were in utter terror and sadness and grief that they will not receive Jesus. And Jesus says this, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Notice that primarily it's created for demons and the devil. This terrible realm reality of punishment is not intended for image bearers of God. But sin entered the world. Sin entered the world. And those who will not receive or put their trust in Jesus and what he has done will not have a heavenly abode with an eternal city, with a, a walking in step with the king of the universe and the joys that come along with that, but they will have eternal punishment. Well, the why, and Jesus says this in verse 42, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. And I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. And I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also say, answering, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it for any of the least of these, you did not do it for me. There it is again. Jesus is plainly saying, when you did not care for the needs of my brothers and my sisters, fellow Christians, when you did not like or you, the message that they brought, when, when, Jesus, when Jesus says, when I sent my people on mission throughout the world and you rejected them and you mocked them and you crucified them and you did not feed them, and you did not clothe them, and you did not care about the message that they were bringing that I sent them with, then you didn't just reject them, but you rejected me. Jesus says, truly I say to you, you did not do it to one of the least of these, and you did not do it to me. And these will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. One of the things I wanted you to see here this morning is that, that the righteous are made righteous because of what God has done. He is clearly not saying to er that this is about earning favor with him based on what you do. But he is telling the disciple that the proof of your discipleship is that you actually love one another. And so I would ask us here this morning is what does it look like? What does it mean for us to love one another? What does it look like for us when we neglect the love for one another? As you walk with Jesus during this week, I would challenge every one of you fellow brothers and sisters to provide for the needs of fellow brothers and sisters. Love your neighbor as you ought to. I need to love my neighbor as I ought to. But also have in mind what it means and being open to the opportunity to care for the needs of those brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters around you. And it's going it's to have all, it's going to look like a lot of different ways. There could be some real physical need. There might be some spiritual need. It might be just a listen. But the fact that you actually care and love your brother and your sister demonstrates your love for God. 
Scriptures tell us that if you do not love your brother and your sister, that you don't love Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray for us, Lord, that we would just, we would honor you with what it means to love each other the way you call us to love each other. Lord, may we be reminded that loving you, but we, as we love our fellow brother and sister, that we are loving you. When we care and provide the needs that we have among ourselves, that we were caring for you, Lord. I pray for anyone who's, who might be struggling with their faith, struggling with whether or not they believe in the good news of the gospel, Lord, I pray for our opened hearts. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.